Hi guys. So I have a personal request for this particular podcast episode. If you guys could tweet, post both, at least one piece of information that you learned from this particular episode that you loved, that inspired you, that you thought was cute, whatever. Like I really, one thing that really tends to happen is that people listen to the podcast and they kind of just go about the day. We don't actually see the information circulate through the community, which we really try to have creative questions, questions that are fun and explore the characters in different situations. And it would just be really, really cool. It would mean a lot to me to see this actually circulate through the community, actually circulate through the fandom and see, you know, it would be awesome to see it be inspired to inspire fan works, fan fiction, fan art, especially fan art. I just, we talked like a solid hour at least, like a really like a solid hour about Runan, Rayla, Athari, that fan, that family, um, and Moonshadow owes a lot. We, we talked a lot about that. And I think this is information that a lot of people really wanted, even if it's in largely headcanon form, but Devin and Ian were so gracious and we talked so much about that family and including Ruthari and of course some Raylum in there. So if you guys could live tweet, um, lie, uh, or even just, even just one tweet, at least one tweet, um, tag us, tag me, tag Haley, tag hot at us at hot potion. Even if you send it directly to me on Tumblr, that'd be awesome. And we'll retweet, reblog all your stuff. Um, it would be good for the podcast. And I just really want to see this information circulate through the fandom so at least one tweet all right um let's get to the episode though thanks hope to see you guys on social media about this all right hey everyone uh this is the hot brown morning potion podcast with your host tamika and Haley, and we are here with devin gill and ian hendry two writers on the dragon prince at wonderstorm and devin being actually the recently announced lead writer of wonderstorm so <laughs> say hi everyone Hello, this is Ian. Hi, I'm Devin. (laughs) All right, and so we have a ton of stuff to get through today. Um, A lot of questions, and but we're going to ask Devin and Ian about themselves a little bit first, since I think I'm not sure if this is the first interview they've had, um, really, uh, personally. So, uh, Haley, you want to hit that? Start hit that? Yeah, sure. Uh, Could you tell us about your roles at Wonderstorm? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm also a writer. Official title, senior writer at Wonderstorm. I was one of the writing team on the show. Uh, not quite as early as Devin, who was basically employee one after the Fenders, but um, <laughs> I joined sort of end of 2016 when season one writing was really starting to get rolling and was, you know, part of the process all the way through all the seasons. Uh, and since this, uh, it's such a small startup company, all the writers kind of take a bunch of other like production roles in the, the show. Um, like throughout all three seasons, like we've done like continuity notes work and we've given, you know, feedback on like every step of the production process. And then the other kind of side of things is we have, you know, a very top secret game that we're making in here. And I kind of try and straddle line between, between the sh- the show writing and the, the game so that that's all kind of on point and feels like it's in the same universe with the same characters as the Dragon Prince. But uh can't say too much more about that just yet. <laughs> Ian does a lot of, a lot of secret work. <laughs> Um, yeah, as for me, I'm also a writer on The Dragon Prince, and my, I was a senior writer until very recently, and now I've been made into a lead writer, which means I just get to flex a lot. Um, but I started in, I think, the very, very end of 2015, 
when Wonderstorm was first getting off the ground as like a tiny, tiny startup. And we were basically four people in a room about, I don't know, like 20 feet by 10 feet. It was really, really awful. Really smelly. Really smelly, really <laughs> tiny, like only a skylight for a window is great. And um, I, so I was involved in like the earliest of brainstorming for the show. I helped sort of like put together a lot of the pitch deck when we, you know, took it around to studios and um, I named like most of the characters is, is my like most self-indulgent claim like, on the show because I got to do a lot of like really silly stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I, I like help out on a million other fronts at Wonderstorm too because we're a small company and yeah, I, I, the funny thing about the the small tasks we have, like you mentioned the continuity checks, um, we often had to make sure that Callum's backpack and book and Rayla's bindings were always correct, and that was kind of the funniest and most intense like like stage of production ever. Because you would you know watch one one shot, and then the next shot would come up, and Callum's backpack would have disappeared. So we had to be like, okay, let's let's get Callum's backpack back on. Yeah, and it's not just for accuracy, but with like the way fandoms operate, like we just knew if Rayla's like binding reappeared sometime, like it wouldn't just be seen as an error. People were like, "What did the king get unkilled? What happened over here?" And no, so on. It was so uh, just oh, the yeah. continuity is <laughs> way harder than anyone thinks it is. It's, it's a lot. Oh, bless you guys for knowing that though, because we we totally would. I think there was a point. I remember saying that they changed Viren's eye color because they didn't want too much continuity with Rayla's eye color, and I feel like. We were really that close to having a Viren as real as real father issue. <laughs> no. We really were. That somebody had to have thought about that issue. <laughs> I actually think there is. There's still at least one shot in the show where Viren has the wrong eye color, and oh. <laughs> if you can find it, yeah. congratulations. <laughs> That's where we missed. We missed it. So it's in there somewhere. Maybe a CSI. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you two are married. Um, can you tell us? <laughs> what it's like being married <laughs> writing partners you want to go um yeah i mean it's we actually knew each other professionally before we dated so it wasn't like we we it's sort of like it was easy for us to to remain work partners because that was how we existed in the first place like i met ian when i interviewed him for a job and i he was great he was fine he was, he's all right apparently i passed all right <laughs> but um so yeah, we, we had a professional relationship before we had a, a, a dating a dating relationship. Um, so it's it's strange because a lot of people will say like, oh, it's probably terrible. You probably like become absolutely sick of each other. But somehow we've managed to, to have like sort of two relationship patterns where when we're at work and we're working on writing stuff, we have this very sort of like professional thing going on. And then at home, we're just married idiots and we have a lot of fun. So like... I don't know, I'm never tired of you, personally. No, yeah, I mean, when we're <laughs> writing, it's generally like, Devin's the one on the keys, uh, you know, putting the words in and so on, and it'll kind of bounce back and forth between, like, I'll have the idea for the how the scene should flow, and I'll kind of narrate bits, and then we'll go back and smooth things over. But, I mean, I can imagine that with some people it would get tense, but I think Devin and I were just absolutely the most comfortable with each other, and neither of us takes it personally when it's like that line that you pitched isn't working, or this joke could be funnier, or anything like that. Um, it's usually Ian who's because I usually type because I type really too fast. She's so proud of her typing. I, I type super <laughs> fast. It's my only real talent. But um, and it, like I'll just sort of I'm go off on some sort of like incredibly unnecessary long description of something, and Ian will sort of 
let me get about like four or five lines into this unnecessary nonsense and he'll sort of start going like, okay, so like, do we really, do we need that? I mean, you know, could we, could we sort of parse this down a little, a little, a little less, a little less? And I'd, oh, fine, like, you know. <laughs> but um, every word she writes is great. It's mm, perfect. <laughs> completely not true. Also in, in our scripts, I think like, in, in terms of the way that we work professionally, I think like a lot of my strengths are in, in really almost self-indulgent levels of drama. And he can kind of pull me back from, from being too indulgent on those fronts. And then Ian, I think, is objectively, absurdly funny. And so when you, you kind of look at our episodes, usually everything that's pretty funny and lighthearted and like the, the sense of levity often comes from you. And then if there's anything that just feels really painfully sad, it's probably me. <laughs> I'm the funny one. It's <laughs> true. Uh, I feel such a connection to you, Devin, because I'm like, actually, episode three was actually one of my favorite ones because I love all that like domestic stuff. I love just kind of like, uh, I don't know what you call the trip, like almost like a safe house trip where you go somewhere, you're still kind of in the venture, but we're in a space right now, a narrative space where people are safe, if that makes any sense. Like mm-hmm. you like um, if you've ever seen How to Train Your Dragon, like Race to the Edge, the base is the safe place, that kind of thing. So I totally get that. I actually see episode three was one of my favorites outside of pretty much every episode where Raylan was a thing. So, <laughs> the whole season, basically. Pretty much the whole season. Um I think there was one more question about mm-hmm. two. Yeah, so about you guys uh, before we get to the elves. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so it was mentioned that you're now a lead writer, Devin, and can you tell us a little bit more about what that entails, if you can, and how that's been going? Um, and how um, that's been going? Yeah, I mean, I actually don't know what I can say about it. Um, I think it it means that uh, for future Dragon Prince stuff, I'll sort of like take a bit more of a an active role in leading. You know the the development and the storylines and things like that. It also means that from a company perspective, um, I've been kind of involved in some other side stuff that Wonderstorm is quietly looking into developing, and um, I help a lot with other IPs that we would love to make a real thing someday. And that's kind of all I can say about it, I think, or I'll get in trouble. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's good to know. Thank you. The Dragon Prince 2. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally joking, everyone. That's not a thing, so don't take that for gospel. Wow. Cool. <laughs> Just making sure. Dragon. <laughs> Dragon two prints. Yeah. Welcome. Um, okay. Also, if there's anything that ha- that you guys say that you want redacted, this is probably not going up for another week um, because I have to get the last our reaction episode out. So, if anything you guys think about that you're like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Just message us and we'll redact that. Yeah, because we know right. that. Or do you guys say, might tell us me. like, whoops. <laughs> hopefully we yeah, have some stuff just to but okay so we are gonna get really indulgent here and i think it's gonna be really indifferent wheelhouse we have a lot of questions and a bunch of those scenarios um so try to get through as much as that as possible um so the first question is can you tell us more about the silver grove what is the government system like in silver grove who runs it if you can tell us that is that the only or at least the like the leadership role um is that the only moonshadow elf village and also do they actually get any real daylight? Because I noticed when the illusion thing happened, it just got shady. And I'm like, they might be taking this moon shadow thing too far. Like the, the elves, do they really like it that much? So like, tell us about the Silver Grove and where Rayla grew up. So I guess it's probably worth just starting off with a kind of blanket. Like if it hasn't been in the show, we can't say it's 100% fact. A lot of this is just going to be what kind of we thought, you know, rough shape of things happen in our heads uh, yeah. going into the Absolutely. writing and so on. So, you know, don't. 
don't come after me with any uh, fandom lawyers, anyone. But um, yeah, I guess like it's sort of it was most useful for us to think about in comparison to how the Sunfire Elves, like clearly they have very structured society. They have a queen, obviously, and they have you know large cities and so on. Whereas we think that Moonshadow Elves live in, as you saw, much smaller uh, communities. And I think the Silvergrove is not the only one of those. It might be one of the the better known ones where clearly the best assassins come from. But uh, I, th- I think there are other ones out there. Um, and maybe even Moonshadow Elf uh, people do not know where all the other ones are. Obviously, the Silver Grove is hidden and maybe they don't even have access to all of the other ones. Uh, so I think there's a sort of uh, community-run vibe to things. I think, you know, when they decided to to ghost Rayla and before that Rayla's parents, I think that was probably a let's all come to a consensus before we make a decision about something like this. Um, I think, Devin, if you want to talk about the kind of, like, sunlight vibes thing, because that was a big part of uh, your driving force behind how this episode looked and felt. Um, well, first, I will say that it was potentially, from the top down, a complicated visual decision to have episode three take place in a Moonshadow Elf shady forest grove and also the Kingdom of Sunlight. Yep. (laughs) It created... A couple production problems in terms of, like, the way we wanted the Silver Grove to look was very, like, evening-themed and cool colors and, you know, shaded. And I had this really sort of self-indulgent thing where I really wanted it to be as close to nighttime as possible, and yet the storyline in Luxoria was clearly taking place in the middle of the day. So it came to this sort of compromise that, you know, um, it is technically daytime, I think, through the whole day, and there is enough tree cover that it's already pretty shadowy, but also I think there's some magic at play that sort of, like generally um, shrouds the whole thing in more of like a a nighttime vibe. And my inspiration for that was uh, I'm a huge World of Warcraft player, or was, I don't super play a ton anymore, but I really loved Ashenvale and um, some of the Night Elf regions, and they had that similar thing where like no matter what time of day it was, it always felt like at least dusk or like this sort of like ever, ever shaded feeling. And I you know, indulgently kind of wanted that to be where Rayla came from. So that's that's what that's about. Yeah, and I think, you know, they're magical be- beings. They don't need vitamin D from the sunlight or anything <laughs> like that. They're they're totally fine if they just get moonlight every so often. But yeah, don't don't write a script that has, uh, you know, moon-themed place and sun-themed place at the same time. It was a questionable choice. <laughs> but I think it turned out okay. Yeah, because I was wondering... I was wondering, I was like, okay, because a lot of stuff you run through, you run through, okay, if I were to write a fan fiction, how do I do use this? So it's like, do they just never, like, if like, if Callum were to, say, live in the Silver Grove, would he just have to get used to the fact that, like, it's just never totally bright daylight? Or unless you leave the Silver Grove in the forest? Uh, and, like, that type of, is that what's kind of, like, going on? They just like their shade? I think they like their shade. It's like Scotland in the in the winter. Oh, yeah, except... We all get miserable by, by around about February when we haven't seen sunlight in several months. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's like, you know, a combination of ooh, magic and also just extremely like thick tree cover in the deepest parts of the forest. But I don't think you have to travel too far. But uh, I think there's a reason why everyone in that town was a moonshadow elf and there were no sunfire elves or random humans just like chilling and living there. Uh, I think only the most goth of kids would be able to live in the Silver Grove without going a little bit mad. I mean, you only have to go as far as the Adora Burr field, which clearly still gets a significant amount of daylight. So. Yeah. And you said that there's not really like a leader. They do everything's community. But is there anybody that like makes decisions like 
Is there anybody that like, if they were to go to somebody, like if they have like village leaderships as decisions, and obviously, um, blank statement that all this week assume is kind of a little bit of headcanon, uh, so mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be like for gospel, but you know, for purposes of writing stuff. Um, the way I thought about it, well, to back up a tiny bit, there was actually a version of the story where there might have, this was super, super early on, we were thinking about how the story might play out, and we talked about there being, like, potentially another Moonshot Elf leader-type character that they would meet who, you know, was, like, the one who ultimately called for the ghosting decision, but that didn't really fit the sort of, like, very personal nature of the story we wanted to play out with Rayla specifically. Um, but thinking about that and the way that we were, you know, trying to shape it, I, I would imagine that, like, the assassins are sort of, like, a specific group that live in the Silver Grove, which is otherwise not... It's not all assassins. Like, not everybody there is an assassin. And I think that means that, like, you know, Renan was leader of the assassins, so he might consult with the leader of the blacksmiths, who, I don't know, maybe someone over Athari at some point, but maybe it's him now, who might consult with just, like, the, the okay. other general leaders. Uh, I don't know. Like, I think it it's more of a council of different groups um, than one single authority. Um, It just seems like that would be a better fit for Moonshadow Elves than the sort of like very, very, you know, uh, strong army, structured, uh, you know, high and mighty feeling that the Sunfire Elves have. So does that make sense? That totally makes sense. A little bit like an oligarchy. I think I had the idea that like they sound like they like a council. Like it sounds like mm-hmm. like oh, elven consolatory. Yeah, I think right. like Hello. someone might say like we, uh, obviously you know something horrible has happened and Rayla is exactly the person we thought she was. I'm calling for a a ghost vote. And, and then you know like <laughs> with a cooler because, name than that. <laughs> no, I think it's canonical. I'm sorry, this is canon. Vote? It's okay. ghost vote now. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, they would they would all sort of like weigh in in sort of like a town hall scenario of like why this is obviously the correct call, like, you know, and and they would all sort of, like, have to come to some sort of agreement about about what to do versus, you know, the Sunfire Queen just being like, mm, time for the light. Light decides. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, the next question being, um, almost a little bit on that, does Rathari regret, um, what does he say? Does, does Rathari regret doing the banishing spell now that he knows the truth? about Raylo. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Um, but I don't think he would have the power to to reverse it. Like, I think he could do a quick charm to help reverse it in the moment just to speak with her, but ultimately it would take a lot for him to undo it. And I've not, I, I you know, we haven't talked about um, what he'll get up to in the meantime, but I, I don't know that he would be able to pursue it so directly, I'd, I'd have to talk about it. I think it would be an interesting sort of like side thought to, to think about how he might pursue redeeming her in the eyes of her people, knowing what he knows. But Yeah, I think like given that we said that, you know, it would take everyone to do it collectively and make a, an agreed decision that would similarly, everyone would have to understand the truth and go back on it. And, oh, I saw her one time and she said she didn't do anything wrong probably isn't enough to <laughs> to overturn that. But I mean... Yeah, I think he probably felt some regret even at the moment, but, you know, he's in some of the worst grief of his entire life and he's not going to make perfect rational decisions. And I've seen, you know, some people were slightly upset that he got so angry with Rayla in the moment of seeing her. But I think, like, when you first see the person that you've tried to convince yourself sort of took the most important person in your life away from you, uh, 
you're going to feel a big mess of feelings and it'll bring up some grief that maybe you thought you were just just starting to get over. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, hopefully he, he can <laughs> turn that around in the years to come. But they've all had a rough time. They're at war. It sucks. <laughs> Don't go to war, kids. <laughs> Don't go to war. Um, Haley, did you want to ask the next one or did you want me to? Sure, I can ask it. Um, yeah. Could you, so, I mean, you've mentioned a, stuff, a couple things about, like, the government system and, and whatnot, but is there anything else you can tell us about uh, Moonshadow Elf culture, like, what their day-to-day is like and what it means to be a Moonshadow Elf? Um, I do think that a lot of the fandom I've been pleased to see has picked up on this sort of idea of a a fairly rigid culture, and, you know, there's a lot of importance placed on, you know, things like honor and loyalty and, uh the ability to commit to things. <laughs> and um, I think that could come off as pretty strict, but I actually think like it comes from the place of valuing a close knit community. And I think like to the idea that we said, like they probably have some kind of council instead of some single authority kind of ruler. It's, I think their day to day would be very much uh, going about their business in ways that support each other, you know, like, does that make sense? It's, you know, the, you go to the blacksmith and he he does work for you and it's friendly and conversational, but it's productive. It's it's all very for the good of the community. Does that make sense? Any- yeah, I mean, I think like early on in uh, season one, even Rayla says uh, that, you know, they're not really meant to show their feelings. So I think everyone kind of commits to, you know, doing their task for the good of the village and doesn't gripe about their day to day or anything like that. Um until, you know, something bad happens, as the entire se- se- uh, series to this point has been driven by. But, um, yeah, I think they, uh, they're they just committed to having a good, small, close-knit village life and all supporting each other as best they can. And then occasionally the Dragon Queen tells you to go kill someone, and that's your job, so you better go do it without complaining about it. I think we use the words it. reclusive yet intimate in the um, that article we put up about the the two moon creatures, yeah. the Moonstrider and the Shadowpaw. And I kind of like, I, I liked that a lot because I think they're, they're reclusive in the sense that they're a little bit shut off from the wider world and they're, they're um, isolationist in their, their preservation of their own culture, but they are very close to each other. And that is something that they hold at such an, uh, like a, a preciousness level, but it's also a bit extreme. Like if you betray that in any capacity, like obviously they take that very seriously. And so it's a, a double-edged sword, if you will, and to have a community that supportive and that close, but also your, your ability to perform all of yourself for the good of that community is, can be your undoing. So. No, I actually kind of get that because um, I'm Pacific Islander. So I think we'd call that what you'd call a collectivist society where it's like the needs of the group supersedes the needs of the individual. So I kind of like, I, it's not to the extreme, I think that they are, cause they're very like reclusive, but um, I kind of live like that in a little bit of way. It's what I grew up with. So I actually totally get that, which might be why I like them so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so the next question would be, how does the banishing spell work that, um, that was used on Rayla uh, politically and magically? I think we talked a little bit about politically already, but magically, is I'm assuming it's a collective decision um, or does each person like opt in? Like it could Athari have opted out of doing it or did we, did they all have to agree? I think everybody has to agree. How's it broken? I don't think you can opt out. Um, I think how is it broken is something we definitely want to save for, 
for the future. Uh, we really hope that Rayla manages to undo that. Um, in terms of, I yeah, I think it's just culturally ingrained that you wouldn't opt out. Um, I think they would probably just argue forever until they managed to come to an agreement. Uh, so, I, I yeah, I don't think there's, you know, half the elves in that village were seeing Rayla and were like, oh, hey, Rayla, how's it going? I think uh, they all came to the collective decision. That's kind of the, the political angle. Um, sorry, what was the, the other part, sort of magically how it works? Yeah. How um, would you do it? I, again, you know, if it's not in the show, it's not canon, but I'm sort of inspired by how the uh, the entrance spell works where they do a dance and there's a ritual. I imagine it's kind of similar. Like, I think there's a lot of that kind of, like, ritualistic uh, style of magic, and it's kind of like what you see when they put the, the flowers out onto the water as well. There's, you know, a collective dance probably involving a lot more people, a lot more cool, intricate runes that happen, only with a much more somber mood than the fun, happy times of Calum and Rayla dancing around in the forest. Um, so yeah, it's probably, I would imagine it's probably tied to some, whatever the saddest phase of the moon is, and that's when they all get together and really somberly, really sadly uh, commit to never seeing this person again. At least that's the part of the plan. Uh, an interesting question that I think could be something that, you know, fan fiction writers such as yourself could get into is like, has any one of these ever been broken before? Or have they all been pretty sure that they would uh, never need to go back on it? Is that going to be something that Rail is going to have to figure out for the first time ever? Or is there a precedent for this happening? And uh, we don't have an answer right now, but I think that would be a, a cool story to think about and write. Oh man, I love the saddest phase of the moon. <laughs> Imagine if they do it at the new moon, because it's like the moon's face is hidden forever. Ooh. Ooh. Sad. Maybe we're birthing things while we're while doing this interview. I actually think it would be like Callum does the story of the Ventum thing. And it would be so because now I'm just imagining this whole village doing this sad dance, which is the banished Rayla dance, essentially. And like, that would be so sad for Rayla to witness that just for the drama of seeing her entire village decide to just not see her ever again. And I was like, wow, I'm so sad. <laughs> <laughs> I love sadness. Yeah, Callum just crushing a series of moon opals to so show like a clip show of all of Rayla's saddest history moments. Oh, God. <laughs> That'd be great. Thanks, Callum. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Callum. Um, she'd love him anyway. But um, Okay, so some of my favorite stuff. What was it like for Rayla when her parents had to leave her to live with Renan and Ithari? And what was that transition like for them all? How old was like Rayla, too? This is one that... Um, we've had a couple different ideas about, so this is another one that's like heavy, not quite canon bubble. Like if we actually end up doing a story that involves any of these details, it's likely to change and be slightly different. But, um, the versions that I've liked have involved her being pretty young. Um, and because honor is such a, you know, key part of Moonshadow culture, I think like overall it was something that she felt, you know, sad about because she knew that she wasn't going to be directly seeing her parents pretty often anymore and but it it was a such a huge honor that she felt you know pride in what her parents were being selected to go do um you know act as dragon garden servants as, as sort of these like honorific um warriors that you know left the the collective of the silver grove to go represent moonshadow elves in the service of the dragon queen and i think she had she grew up being told what an honor that was and how much how pride how much pride she should have in her parents because that is such a, a special thing and then i think like it speaks a lot to how proud she was when she believed that they ran away and abandoned that duty because you know 
how, how could they? If, if that was their reason for, for leaving her when she was a child and then they ran away from that job, like how, how, how important could it have really been? And then, you know, I'm sure that makes her feel very, very small. It made her feel so hurt that she told Callum at first that they were dead. So she took it pretty hard. Um, yeah. But I think the other thing about it that we've sort of kicked around is that like Renan and Athari were Rayla's parents' close friends. And I think she was familiar with them enough that she didn't feel like she was being, you know, left with two strangers. It's sort of just like you're going with you're going to be under the care of people who are already very, very close to you and care about you quite a bit. So Yeah, I think with like um Moonchilds in general, a thing I think about a lot is like the good and evil that comes from suppressing your true emotions to show a different face to the world. And I think we see a lot of that in Rayla. Like, I think she probably committed pretty hard to ghosting her parents because she had this, like, big mess of, like, sadness that she'd left, but at least the, like, soft landing of uh, Renan and Athari to live with and so on. But believing, like, this sadness is worth it because they're doing something so noble. And then the betrayal of that, like, it just came out in kind of a messy, like, toxic way right where now she's committed to becoming an assassin at a really young age in a way that Athari doesn't agree with and so on but I mean on the other side I think having a strong handle on your emotions is often one of Rayla's strengths right like we saw in like episode five of this season after she's going through a whole lot of uh, stuff both uh, her family situation this new development with Callum uh, she's just able to like operate as like a cool badass extremely cool assassin <laughs> um, without letting any of that affect her but, you know, I think there's there's balance in how you handle your feelings and how you externalize them in a, in a good way that uh, people can learn from. But sometimes you got to you got to work. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, well, yeah, I always had this personal headcanon where she felt which I kind of like incorporated into my fanfic is where she felt abandoned by her parents. So in a way, it's kind of like slightly kind of like that, except it was more like all those feelings that had been repressed from years and years basically came out when she felt like like the abandonment came to like the head when she felt like they had left because they had ran away they kind of like ran away like from her oh yeah absolutely. in a way so i think that validates the, the suppressed feeling you know yeah since our duty to the dragon guard was in its own way more important and that's something that was like okay because it was an honor but since they ran away it's like well obviously it was more important in a terrible way that makes any sense yeah i mean i think it's like she did her best and she's trying to be a grown-up but it's hard at a young age to accept that you know there are meant to be higher callings than like a bond between uh parents and children right like that's hard for her to, to to grasp and she probably didn't express that openly ever really um but i i think it really did help that she had two genuine loving uh you know father figures ready to accept her with open arms even if one of them did train her to become the best assassin of her generation which again i wouldn't advise to to most parents out there i do think like even that <laughs> was considered you know honorable it yeah. was you know you're going to not only are you going to get to live with renan athari like renan is the leader of the assassins or at least maybe at the point at that point in time he wasn't the leader but he was very up and coming i don't know it could be either or but that i think was probably something that she fully embraced and fully wanted you know like this is my purpose in life. This is my calling. My parents have gone off to do their calling and it's, it's a great honor for them. And this is my, my path and what I'm going to do with myself. And that didn't end up being true, but <laughs> it, it was probably a comfort to her at the time. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, moving on. Okay. This, we're getting real indulgent now. Um, 
what do you know what Ithari and Runan's wedding was like and what are Moonshadow elf weddings like in general? Um, I have a so a lot of the, the dancing stuff is because I have an enormous soft spot for tropes involving cute dances, like just a huge, huge soft spot. And the thing uh, that comes to mind is if you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt, which is such a weird reference. But yeah, the, I love that. the the scene where he and the the girl I forget her name they do the thing with the Sephora. ribbon, and they mm-hmm. they do the cute little dance with the ribbon. For some reason, that's what I think of when I imagine what a moment in their wedding would look like. Um, is would be a dance with a ribbon that they sort of like use to, you know, moonshot elves love ribbons, I guess. But this is a good ribbon. <laughs> yeah. It's a love ribbon. Not a, anyway. That's just my idea. I love that specific that song. The through heaven's eyes. It's during that sequence, but. That would be yeah. my go-to point of inspiration for like, it's like that. And then, you know, everybody dances with them because Moonshot Elves like to dance. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of that um, there's a lot of these symbols that are sometimes extremely sinister. I mean, I think Ithari even kind of calls this out when he, you know, shoots the 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 Shadowhawk arrow to inform the queen that, the, that her son is in fact alive. But like, Moonshot Elves believe uh, that, you know, death and life are not good and evil, right? They're... They're mirrors of each other and an important part of the cycle. And, you know, the moon has cycles and that's an important part. So I think thinking about all the uh, rituals and stuff that they have, which initially you're introduced to as let's go murder someone party. Like if that was, you know, there was a kind of inverse to that that was a big part of their, their wedding ceremony. I think that would make make a lot of sense uh, to, to Moon Shadow Elves because they, you know, this is two people binding their lives together forever. So, uh binding for a shared purpose in a good way and not the uh, grim let's go kill Prince Ezrin kind of way. <laughs> yeah. Because naturally this is involving like several ships. So I'm like, I had to ask that. And on the piggyback of that, um, um, as detailed as possible, can you describe courtship customs for Moonshadow Elves? Oh, like man. dating dating customs. Like a headcanon, even if they're just headcanons. Devin is deep in thought. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, like, for some reason, the, the headcanons that I've thought about are more specific to, like, Renan and Athari than I've really sort of, like, branched out into thinking about how Moonshot Elves do this in general. But um, I imagine there is intended, there, there's some formality to it, I would imagine, in that, like, because they're so, you know, purposeful and thoughtful with how they express their feelings, if at all, um, I think it would be, you know, exchange of gifts, like small favors and, and like uh, making your purpose known in a way that starts small and, but, but has purpose. So I think like there's versions where, you know, Athari would put extra detail into the work he was doing for Renan, which, you know, could be perceived as a sign of affection or Renan was coming to Athari asking him to work on his weapons or like uh, metalcraft stuff a little bit more than was necessary and uh, stuff like that where it's it's you know you're it's it's a bit stiff and and difficult but i think like once once there is clear reciprocation i think there can be more of an open discussion about it does that make sense but i think like renan probably struggled with this a whole lot like because he's i think (laughs) did i I, it might have been you that i responded to on twitter but someone asked me something along these lines and i think renan had a really hard time like even with these first sort of like simple offerings of of affection because that's just him. Uh, he sort of takes that aspect to an extreme. Like he, he has a, a hard time being like, here is, here is the, the way I wish to express myself in a soft way and not with a, 
a sharp object. So I think Athari had an easier time because he was, he was just more naturally soft. <laughs> yeah, I sometimes think that Runan is the most Moonshadow Elf of all Moonshadow Elves, but like, you know, it's... I was going to say that. Yeah. Um, you know, when they have such a hard time showing their feelings and they sometimes feel like they're not supposed to and so on. So Renan is trying to pick up on the tiniest possible hints through professional exchanges and so on. And I think when it's actually time to confess that there's a feeling there, you would, I think especially Renan would have to be 100% sure then would do it entirely in private, the most private situation possible where there could be no possible spies who could see this if it was going to go wrong because that would just be the end of his entire life, obviously. Yeah, he would bind himself to his own death. Yeah, that's it. I'm going to assassinate myself because I confessed love and it didn't get reciprocated. That's that. It's over. <laughs> so yeah, lots of lots of awkward advances where they're trying, you know, trying to have the escape patch of, oh, I didn't really try to suggest that I liked you. This was just me asking you for a professional favor. Bye. Let's never speak again. <laughs> yeah, and then he comes back the next day. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, I feel I've, I've, I'm kind of like headcanning now that like Athari tells Rayla all of this, how I met, you know, your surrogate dad kind of stuff. <laughs> like, and that's how she was. She's like, this is how you do love. Apparently. I do think like, yeah, he, he had a much easier time and probably picked up on stuff. And to me, there's a side of Athari that you don't really get to see in the episode because he's very sad. Um, I think he's a he does have a playful side, and I like to imagine that while Runan was doing his like really just not the best attempts to display affection early on, like Athari would pick up on them but not necessarily give the full signal back. And he played a little bit oblivious, but he absolutely was he's just more emotionally in tune. So I think, oh hey, you know you're you're back again. Wow, I thought I did fantastic work on on your blades last time. I cannot believe they're already dull. Like, and he's just sort of like, he knows, he knows there's something there. I think like this kind of gets echoed in Rayla, right? Where Callum, in an effort to like, you know, pick her up and be honest about how he feels that she's just an incredible person. Like to her, that's like person being entirely open with their feelings in a positive way. That's a love connection. And then it goes wrong for one entire episode. And it turns out Callum was also not fully aware of how he was feeling and so on. But I think like, yeah, I think that's why she was immediately, wow, this is clearly meant to be romantic and this is uh, this is going exactly the way I want. And then it didn't. But then it did. So we're all happy. <laughs> I am. I'm certainly happy. Um, uh, let's see. The next one is, okay, what was Rayla like as a child growing up in the household she did? Household. Um, she mentioned going to school and we'd love to know how baby Rayla fared as a student and just a child growing up in the Silk Grove, and what that experience is like for a Moonshadow Elf child. You want you want me to do this one? Go for it. Yeah. Um, I think Rayla was feisty, <laughs> in a word. I think she... I, for some reason, you, the, there's a scene in the beginning of Korra where she's already mastered, like, three elements or whatever, and she, like, comes out punching. I kind of think about that when I think about baby Rayla. She, you know, she's... There's that end credit scene where she's got the two sticks and she's posing with them and Renan's sort of lifting one of them up. And I'm thinking like, okay, so she's like from a tiny, tiny age thinking like, I'm going to be the coolest assassin the Moonshadow Elves have ever seen. And she's like rambunctious about that almost because, you know, as a child, you don't really understand what the ramifications of that are, but it's considered like a highly, highly valued, honored position. And so she's obviously like, 
yep, I'm going to do that and I'm going to be the best at it and there will never be any complications whatsoever. Um, in terms of, like, Moonshadow Elf childhood, I, I think, like, with the way that I would think about it is, you know, we talked about the sort of community aspect. I imagine, like, Moonshadow Elves have pretty, like, uh, what's the word? Like, a lot of general education, sort of, like, this is what, you know, weaponsmithing is like, and this is gardening and raising crops and things to provide for the community, and so I think, like, they would they would have a lot of, quote, school that that covers a lot of just like life basics um, because you are expected to find a place that contributes to the collective whole. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I think like it's also lucky for Rayla that a big part of uh, Moonshadow of culture is what we would call PE, right? Like I think she excelled at striving to be an assassin and a warrior and so on, uh, especially like, you know, she's trying to live up to her parents who at first were uh, – honored dragon guard and you know Runan as well i think in terms of like more academic stuff like if there was like moonshadow elf history lessons and like let's go out and understand the you know ecology of the moonshadow forest and stuff i think she was probably a bit kind of like rambunctious and uh not super paying attention and running off and not really giving it her all and so on um you kind of get that impression from early on where like she knows what primal sources are and she'll explain that to Callum but like when she's talking about like how do you do that moonshadow form thing she's like I don't know just it just feels right like I think that's uh she did everything very intuitively and focused on the things she cared about and understood and kind of did what she did what she could on the other uh subjects I guess but didn't care as much (laughs) Yeah, I feel like if you uh, imagine the kid that is going to grow up to be an artist is doing, like, doodles on their math homework and just sort of, like, doing the math homework, but, but you know, the clearly the the effort is being placed elsewhere. I think it's that, but she was, you know, excelling at PE and assassin training and therefore fell very, very easily into her supposed path. The, this isn't on the thing, but did did she ever? Did she really have any friends? Because she doesn't really mention ever mention friends, and maybe that has to do with the whole assassin thing. Where if she wasn't learning, being at school, she was probably doing assassin stuff with Renan or assassin training stuff, not actual assassinating. But um, did she have really friends growing up uh, at all? Um, I think if she had friends, they were not super close, and I think she valued her alone time. Uh, there's a sweet moment early in uh, well, end of season one, where she like tries to cheer up Ezrin by saying that, you know, fitting in is overrated. And I think she felt that a little bit. Um, And, you know, I think there's some amount of, like, when you're being trained in the arts of an assassin, like, you're probably somewhat taught to to keep people at arm's length a little bit, right? And I think she she took that to heart. So I think that's a big part of why when she was first traveling with Cal and Ezrin, it was, there wasn't that much trust between them. And it kind of, like, it was Ezrin, honestly, that sort of bridged the gap, being the most empathetic number one child. Um... And uh, yeah, I think I think having a close friend is relatively new to her. Um, I think if she had friends, they were not super close, and I think she valued her alone time. Uh, there's a sweet moment early in, uh, well, end of season one, where she like tries to cheer up Ezrin by saying that you know fitting in is overrated, and I think she felt that a little bit. Um, and you know, I think there's some amount of like when you're being trained in the arts of an assassin, like you're probably somewhat taught to to keep people at arm's length a little bit, right? And I think she she took that to heart. So I think that's a big part of why when she was first traveling with Cal and Ezrin, it was, there wasn't that much trust between them. And it kind of like, it was Ezrin, honestly, that sort of bridged the gap being 
most empathetic number one child. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think having a close friend is relatively new to her. Makes sense. Like just few, not the many. Um, okay, then next question before we get to Haley's batch of them are um, what are Renan's feelings toward Rayla as of right now and everything that's happened since season one? I understand he's in a coin. He's in a financial crisis. He's probably not thinking oh about God. it too hard. But you know... <laughs> like he's gotta you know he's not doing anything right now so i'm assuming so like what would be his feelings about her at the moment i mean he's got a lot of time to think (laughs) wherever he is um i think like i I got into this a little bit on twitter in a self-indulgent rant at one point where i think like he went through a lot very quietly during the the first few episodes of the show where you know he very very much wanted Rayla to succeed even if he wasn't necessarily like being the dad on the sideline of the soccer game, like cheering for her, but he thought this was her moment. This was her, um, her time to prove that she really was more dedicated to, you know, her cause and her people than her parents were because they had, you know, been the subject of such shame. And then uh, everything goes the way it does. I think he has a, a brief crisis of, is this my fault? Did I fail to train her well enough? Like, was Athari right? Because he always thought she had a, you know, a softer heart. Um, and I think like, those are the types of things that he's still stewing on. Um, like, did, did he overstep? Like, was it something, did, did he, was he so eager to have to give her the opportunity to prove herself that he, you know, ultimately put her in a position where she could not succeed? Um, I, I think like the other thing that I mentioned on Twitter is that I think he took her off the mission both because he very, very much wanted to give himself and the others a chance to complete the mission, even if it meant their deaths. But it also meant that Rayla had the chance to survive, even if, you know, it was potentially going to be misinterpreted and, you know, she'd get slapped with the ghosting. I think he he believed that her alive was better than, you know, everybody being dead. Um, so I think, like, he's got a lot of, a lot to work through. And I think, like, I think he feels guilty. I think there's a, the, the smallest part of him that he has, again, a lot of time to potentially stew on and reflect on is that he does feel like he put her in a position that was, you know, not fully taking into account the type of person she was and more projecting onto her the type of person he wanted her to be and the, the gift he wanted to give her of, you know, redeeming herself in the eyes of her people for her parents. And I think he's going to have to work through that. (laughs) Poor dude. That's so sadly heartfelt. That's so sadly (laughs) heartfelt. Harry, I'm thinking that he'd be like, maybe a little angry with her because of where he is. But now he's like, oh, he feels guilty. Like, oh, okay, let's just slap the angst on. Okay. okay." I mean, I think like, sure, he'd have some anger. Like, oh, I gave her everything. I gave her the exact opportunity she needed. But I think like, the, the guilt and the like reflection leads to the maybe I maybe it was me who stepped too far here. Yeah, I mean another part of it is like you know we don't know what it's like being trapped in the hell coin dimension, right? Like oh I do I I mean it oh you sucks. do I, oh it, it sucks when it happens to me on the reg. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's like, does it feel like an eternity is passing? Will it feel like no time has passed? Is he in eternal pain? Because if it's, like, real bad in there, I can imagine that, like, yeah, there's definitely some of those kind of anger feelings that you don't want to feel, but you do sometimes, right? Like, it's like, if he has, like, a snap moment of, like, I wouldn't be in here if she hadn't just, like, gone off and disobeyed our orders and, like, lied to me and so on. So, so 
if he ever comes out, uh, don't know what side of the the emotional coin he's gonna land oh, on. A please a, get oh, oof, finger ouch. guns. I do think like that sort of complex sounds- emotion is just. I don't want to give any time for that to that pun. We're, we're moving on. Okay. Um, I, like that sort of <laughs> complexity of emotion and, and relationships is something that I really like in the show overall. Like I. Like you said earlier, you saw some people that were a little bit upset that Athari was so willing to to lash out at Rayla at first. And I think, like, to me, that that was always part of the big, big thematic of the show, which is this sort of endless mm-hmm. cycle of people being willing to hurt each other and not forgive each other and not, you know, accept that you can choose peace. It's, you know, it's... Renan having that impulse to anger is... A very natural thing and it doesn't I don't think it necessarily makes him a bad person for feeling that and I don't necessarily think that Athari having his moments of grief lead him to actions that are ultimately like regretful like he like he doesn't I, I don't think he would want that to define him in the long run like th- those are very human things and but those are the things that as we acknowledge them and as we are you know so long as we are capable of recognizing how flawed we are and how violent and uh messy messy thank you that's like i was gonna say like churning yeah messy is good like messy emotions can be and how they can like dictate the way we treat each other um but but forgiveness and patience and acceptance are ultimately just so much more powerful than those those sort of like negative perpetual perpetuating like like lashing outs that was an inelegant way of ending that screed but but yes, I actually really love that because um, I, from the beginning, I've loved their father-daughter relationship. So I love how complicated it is because the truth is, you know, every parent-child relationship is a little complicated, except theirs is a little more complicated with assassination, you know, going on um, in the works, the family trade. And so I love that, that um, it is as complicated as it, because I know I remember in the beginning where people were like, you know, you know, she does have a dad. Like I know that she has a biological dad, but until I am told otherwise, that's her father. I don't care. And I love that relationship. So I love that that really reflects that. Um, another que- the next question out of me before we get to um, Haley's, which are all about different elves, is, um, of course, I have to ask this. My policy is one random question per interview. Um, what are Renan's feeling? What, no, well, well, how would Rithari and, and Renan react to Rayla's relationship with Callum, considering he's not only a human, but a human prince? Because as far as we know, Renan really hates um, humans. And I love to see that story later. Um, both individually and as a couple. Because as far as I know, Athari probably doesn't know that they're in a relationship unless he sensed it. Oh, man. I I think you should take this one, but I do want to say that I saw one comment on Tumblr at one point where someone said that they wished that Athari had said something to Callum along the lines of, like, take care of her. And um, I want to travel back in time and pretend that was in the script because I think that would have been really, really nice. And I do think, like... He he picked up on the fact that Callum was important to her, even if um, it he didn't necessarily read it as romantic right off the bat. And I think he mostly was like, "Oh, this guy's kind of like a cute. He's a human, but but he's you know a, a friend to to someone I care about, and that in of itself is valuable. And they, there's something there. So I think I pretend that was in in the script. I wish I had thought about something like that, but I will. Yeah, <laughs> that's canon as far as far as I'm concerned. That's canon. <laughs> I think uh, it would be best for everyone involved if they found out together uh, because I think 
Renan's impulse would not be good immediately. I think like when you spend so much time as an assassin and you drill into your head that the people that you're meant to kill are not people, they're the enemy, right? Like I think that's sometimes that's a thing he turns on to do the job and so on, but I do think that's going to bleed into his personality and it's, it, you know, especially given his extremely recent history, he's <laughs> not got the best feelings about humans. So I think it would inspire an immediate negative reaction in him that would not be pleasant for Calum and Rayla. But I think Ithari uh, just has a much softer heart and that is where Rayla kind of got that side from. So, I mean, I'm not going to say that he would immediately, uh, you know, they've been at war for hundreds and hundreds of years with humans and they've been told all through their history that humans committed the original sin of dark magic, etc., etc. But like, I think it would take not that much time of seeing Rayla and Callum together for Athari to to see that there's something there, and then I think Athari would have the ability to uh, to talk Renan down pretty quick. But I also think that like <laughs> um, Renan might not even show any of this. There might just be a kind of seething resentment that he's not really talking about inside. Um, Unless it was, like, on the battlefield or something, and he was like, that's a prince that I meant to kill or something like that. But overall, I think Ithari would sense that Renan was not, like, was not taking this well, and they would be able to talk it through. At least that's my that's my gut. Nope, that sounds right. <laughs> I feel like poor Callum is just always on the edge of, am I going to die tonight uh, while he's there? And is this, is this going to be it? Just going to be like, oops, sorry, I had an accident. Hey, I had an accident in the middle of the night, you know, just a knife to the throat. That's all. Yeah, I mean, he's doing pretty well. Like he said, as they were like about to meet Ithari and Rayla was like, remember Runan? And he was like, oh, yeah, that guy who tried to kill me as soon as he met me. Cool guy. <laughs> Callum's doing pretty well in the acceptance do, these days. Yeah. I do want to say that I think Ithari and Callum would get along really well because I think they both have sort of like a soft hearted friendliness to them that they would have a fun rapport and that's the sort of like trees to meet you line is definitely supposed to be like they'll they'd you know crack some goofy back and forths and i think that would soften runon too because like he couldn't ever hate someone that athari liked yeah i think it's a weird reversal where like callum's the one doing the dad jokes and athari's like humoring them and runon's like i don't understand trees do not meet (laughs) please stop saying trees to meet you (laughs) Oh, I'm going to... I love that. Um, All right, Haley, take it away. Your turn. (laughs) Okay, so, I mean, I was wondering how much time you guys have. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think we have plenty of time. It's just about how long you want the podcast to be. Yeah, Awesome, (laughs) just make sure, because, I mean, we're only, like, halfway through questions. I mean, you can go faster. (laughs) I know that we're, like... uh, Part of it is just, you know, this is fun, headcanon-y stuff, so... Yeah, we're we're definitely rambling. rambling. <laughs> uh, maybe we can try and get to the point a little more, but we're having a good time. No, I love rambling. I love rambling. And if any of the stuff you guys want to take away and, you know, put in the show, no problem. We'll just be like, you know, assistant writers. That's all. <laughs> um, uh, so take I, it away, Haley. I did not write this question, but it's on here. So we're oh, wondering, <laughs> do you guys read fan fiction? It's, I mean, I read fan fiction in general. It's actually rough because I, like, we are actually not allowed to read fan fiction for the Dragon Prince. Okay. And that's, like, a thing that I've struggled with in fandom before because I, like, I love fan fiction and it's how I got my start as a writer. Like, I just wrote a bunch of fan fiction when I was mm-hmm. young. And so it's it's yeah. it's rough because, like, I definitely, I, I want to see the way that fans are sort of approaching the characters and having fun with them. But we are 
there's like a, a very legal strange legal. legal ground there, which is a bummer, but I gotta, I gotta respect it, unfortunately. But I love fan fiction as a general like blanket statement. Like everybody, please continue to write as much fan fiction as humanly possible. It's the best thing on planet Earth, and uh, it's what makes stories fun for me. So I guess the one thing we can say we do interact with fan fiction is like we're kind of aware of the types of fan fiction people are writing and the categories they're going into. <laughs> And let me tell you, when we started seeing, even after season one, the number of, like, Raylum-tagged fanfics on AO3, we were like, we're not doing something that the fandom's going to reject outright. This is going to be okay. Everything's going to be, everyone's going to be happy. Yeah. I actually write Raylum fanfiction myself. I write, I think, um, uh, one of the more, I don't like to toot my own horn, but it's true. I write one of the more popular ones right now. Um, Excellent. Canon Divergent. Canon Divergent. Rayla embraces the assassin thing. Prince, oh my she steals the egg. Ooh. Princess meat. Still a Raylan fan fiction though. So uh, we just wanted to know. We were just very curious because we've always wanted to know that. We know that some people write read fan fiction there, but I wasn't sure if you guys were allowed to. Yeah, it's just that like awkward, annoying legal thing of like someone's like, hey, this was in my fan fiction. Did you read it? And we have to be able to say, no, we absolutely didn't steal your idea. Um, you know, <laughs> legal bummer, but. Yeah, definitely. But fan art is fair game, right? Oh yeah, I think it's harder to argue fan art is an influence on a writing process, but I right. mean, like, uh, I feel like Renan probably threw Rayla in the water, and and uh, that fan art that was up the other day. I'm like, that's that's just a thing. If that happens, then it's it is what it is. Yep. <laughs> we, was, accept we accept that. <laughs> so I loved getting to finally see Rayla's mom and dad in season three. And they're amazing looking. I love their designs a lot. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm wondering what they're like as people, as elves, if you can talk about it anymore. My, the only thing you can talk about, whatever you think, but my only important headcanon is that Rayla's dad is a the ultimate, like, bro. Like, he's a really <laughs> good friend. And he just wants to help his friends accomplish their dreams. And he's just, like, super supportive and a very positive person. That's, that's my headcanon about him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we can get, like, too deep into them, but, I, yeah, I think he's he's the friendly one. He's friendlier than your average Moonshadow Elf, I think, and, like, can form closer bonds. I think um, I've always thought that her mom is the quieter one, the more calculated one, the planning one, uh, probably, you know, in their sort of warrior partnership, kind of the brains of the operation a little bit, um, whereas he's the kind of more impulsive side i think you can kind of like you could break down rayla's character traits and like kind of split them into the left column of dad and the right column of mom and i think uh yeah when rayla's cool and calm and collected she's being like her mom and when she makes a reckless decision she's being like her dad (laughs) that's that's my my headcanon anyway yeah i love that um so got a question for you too like i mean they're all for you but i mean like (laughs) <laughs> like, just like a person, like, uh, personally, what are your favorite types of elves from the ones that we know about so far? Um, I really like Sunfire Elves, because I've always been sort of like, I, I really like elves that are mean, <laughs> and I feel like they have they have a sort of, like, aggressive, aggressiveness, I guess is the, the correct word. They have, like, an aggressive... Um, sort of lofty image of themselves that I think is a fun thing that's that represents like the duality of the sun. We've talked about the sun as something that 
you know, is, is warm and nurturing and like can kind of be a guiding light, but it can also be extremely like violent and burny and insufferable. And I think like the Sunfire Elves in so many ways embody that and that they're, they've got their, I don't know if I, can I swear on this podcast? Um, I was going to say they've got, sure, their, yeah. they've Go got their shit together. <laughs> like they have it together and like they look down Somebody their nose. Yeah. They look down their noses at everyone else because they assume, you know, nobody has it together as we do. And I don't know. There's just, I, I like them. They're, they're fun and uh, flawed. <laughs> just think they're great. Uh, I guess I'll say Skywing elves. I've, um, I feel like the ones we've seen so far kind of give the entire type of elf a bad rap because we've seen like criminals and cowards so far almost exclusively but um i don't know there's something i kind of relate to and like man just that fantasy of being able to be like "Ooh, this situation's tough peace i'm out <laughs> i don't need to be part of this anymore um and there's just something great about like having having sort of freedom and not having a kind of rigid code of conduct like the moon shadow elves and the um sunfire elves that we've seen so far and it just seems like they're probably a more fun kind of elf to hang out with than the others. That's fair. I don't think I would want to live amongst the, the Sunfire Elves. I just, yeah. think, I just think they're neat, yeah. as the, <laughs> the meme goes. Can we call Skywing Elves Burb Elves? Like Burb with a B? Yeah. Absolutely. Burb, burb Elves. <laughs> Excellent choices. And I know we talked about uh, Moonshadow Society a lot. But uh, I'm wondering if you can tell us anything. Oh, it's pretty loud over here. Uh, if you can tell us anything about Sunfire Elf Society or Skywing or maybe even Star Touch Elf Society. I don't know. Just putting that out there. <laughs> I guess an easy one is I don't think there is a Star Touch Elf Society because they are oh, okay. <laughs> not numerous uh, and not much is known about them. So I got that one. Devin, go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, since I like Sunfire Elves, I guess I can just you know, yell about them for a while. Um, I think the the thing about the Sunfire Elves is that, you know, they have a single authority, they're uh, a monarchy, and they're heavily militaristic. And I think, like, when you think about um, that sort of culture, I think the same way that Moonshadow Elves are, are very communal, I think, like, Sunfire Elves are very much about their, their might and, like, their ability to demonstrate in so many ways their strength and, you know, in a way that like Zadia looks to the Sunfire Elves as protectors and a guiding light and sort of just like this, this, uh, pillar of strength, but that is also a bit of a, a problem because they're kind of violent. <laughs> Again, going back to that sort of like sun duality thing, um, you know, the Sunfire Elves are the ones who ultimately, you know, patrol the border. They're the ones who, they're the enforcers in Zadia and that power is both good because they're protectors and also it means they wear the boots and can be a bit overbearing and i don't know is that is that helpful i just think they're they're aggro they're really they need to chill yep. <laughs> if they could just chill for a second that'd be good but they can't uh i guess one skywing tidbit about what we thought about ocean elves name to be announced at some point in the future uh I've kind of liked the idea yeah, that, like, they live in, um, tied to different bodies of water in the world. It's not all just, like, a bunch of fish in the ocean. And I think you can get very different kinds of ocean elves named to be announced. Uh, 
depending on what kind, you know, do they live in a lake? Do they live uh, up and down a river? Do they live in the ocean and so on? Um, so maybe we'll throw that out in the future, but that, that I always thought that was a, a cool idea. Yeah, the thing I liked about that was this idea of flow and yeah. like continuity and, you know, the all rivers lead to the sea. Like if you, you can imagine, I liked to imagine a story about um, an ocean elf. I liked the fandom name Water Wet. So yeah, I'm just gonna, sure. You know, water a water wet elf that lives <laughs> up in a mountain in a like a lake up high in an icy lake that a river from that might flow to the ocean and somehow the an, uh, an elf that lives in the ocean could communicate and have a connection to the elf up in the mountain even though they're so so far away whereas other elves don't really have that, you know. So there's something thematically about that that I like and again this is all just like we haven't really delved into what those elves are going to be about. But I like to think about themes like that and how that it might play into the, the, the way that they manifest in the world. So, so uh, yeah, number 14. <laughs> so I was wondering if <laughs> Earth Blood Elves, because we haven't actually really talked about them yet, uh, if they actually sound like Elf Calum or he's just being silly because he might not know what they actually sound like. I guess I will say Callum had no reason to decide that was an Earth Blood Elf accent. Whether he happened to get it right or not, I think we should leave up to the future. <laughs> but Callum, yeah, okay. no, he he pulled out of nowhere. <laughs> he tried his best. <laughs> so I'm also wondering what the process of coming up with the differences between all the elf types and how much the character designers get to determine when it comes to this. Um, I mean, it's kind of been step by step because... You know, at first we only had to show one type of elf and they had a very distinct job to do. They were assassins coming to kill the king. So, you know, we always kind of go back to what are the themes and moods and feelings of the primal source that they are based on. And then there's going to be some push and pull based on like story needs as we're as we're approaching these characters and so on. Um, in terms of how much the character designers bring, I think like an enormous amount because the kind of they're essentially handed the script and we give them, you know, here's some keywords, here's some thoughts we've had about what these elves might be like. Like, I think we knew early on that our elves are going to have horns in this this series, so so do what you can with that and so on. Um, but then the character designers really were just, you know, given space to explore a whole bunch of different directions. Like, I think we've even revealed online some of, the, like, the initial sheets of, like, explorations of a bunch of different types of elves, uh, some of which we haven't even seen in the show yet. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of like a, a back and forth conversation with them about like, ooh, this is kind of like really matching what we had in their heads, but this element we didn't even think of. What if we combine these two things into something that really, really brings it together? And then we just try and come back to, you know, does this feel like the primal source? And also, does this feel like the specific character that we're talking about just now? Like, Nyx and Ibis should look related, but different, right? I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to... I mean, like, even the horn thing came from... The very first drawing any artist ever did of Rayla, just he happened to draw horns on her, and that was never something that was like dictated to him. He just thought it looked neat. Yeah. And so from then on, all elves had horns. <laughs> so yes, the artist contributes so 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 much to what the elves end up feeling like. Yeah, I think we get surprised along the way as well. Like I think uh, I don't think like Nix didn't look anything like any of the earliest Skywing elves we've seen, but like. There was just something about her that really jumped out and was just like a really vibrant personality that went along with the 
the story she'd been written in so far. So, man, I hope we get to see more Nick's in the future. She's so fun to me. I really do like Skywing Elfhorns. They're a little bit further back and thicker and more, like, kind of rim-like. They're, yeah. they're my favorite ones so far. I think that's the other thing we keep trying to do is, like, don't drift too far from what looks like an elf, but really try and push them within the, the, the circle of elfdom, like, push them as far apart from each other as possible so that, like, you see an elf and you know exactly which type of elf it is immediately. That's that's really cool. Like, yeah, I love how every elf type has a different kind. You know, their horns are different shaped, and like how it might go along with, you know, like what kind of elf they are. And um, so, kind of along with that, I mean, that could have been an answer to this. But do you have a favorite small detail about any type of elf design that you just particularly love? I like wing placement on the few Skywing elves that get to have wings. Uh, I think that was a. A cool, distinct, not angel-looking uh, place to put some wings on something, and we've had some questions about whether that would work from an aerodynamic point of view. But come on, they're magical elves; it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that really surprised me. Um, I mean, you can even see in season one, like that's kind of how their wings were, but I just never noticed they were on that far down on their body. But it was really, that was really surprising, I guess, to see. Um, so cool. next question. Uh, so since elves don't understand the concept of money, what do they exchange for goods and services? Kuna wrote this one. <laughs> do you actually... I'm just curious. I'm not sure that they don't understand the concept of money, but I think like when Runan was like, only humans can be bribed, he was speaking more from the Moonshadow perspective of like, we just do things for a collective, like we're, we're more about each other than we are about, you know, individual greed and... He was being more of a, a jerk about humans and human nature than he was specifically about money as a concept. But I like because I think like Nyx cares about money. She's <laughs> she's like um, clearly in, no, it's true. She I don't know that like yeah we haven't really gone super deep into what the economics of Zadia really look like. But I think Nyx is motivated in by a sense of greed and a sense of like reward. And I it might there might be a monetary aspect to that. I've actually completely forgotten what the real question was. What. What do they exchange for goods and services? Uh, stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it varies from um, both type of elf to type of elf, but also just, like, type of society they're living in. Like, I imagine that, like, some fire elves are like, I will do what is asked of me, of me and everyone will make sure that they are uh, fed and supported to do their job because we are the greatest uh, army of all elves and we got to make that work. And then in the, uh, you know, Silver Grove-style situation, like, it's such a small community that they're pretty able to just freely trade with each other to for what each person needs, right? And uh, they they all know their duty and they'll all, they'll all do it. But I think when you get something like Skywing Elves that seem to be far more spread apart, uh, yeah, maybe they do need some kind of token or something, to, or maybe they just like trade in cool treasures that they managed to to find at the in some old ruin that they explored one day. I love the idea that. Like there's skywing elves that are a bit like magpies, and they're they just like oh shiny, I oh, yeah, just want a shiny, and they take it back to their like their little nest. That's it. Skywing elf, magpie, OC. Somebody please take that and run. That's what I was actually about to say. I was like, that sounds like an actual bird. Uh, I, I, for some reason, I keep head, I keep talking with my friends, um, Jill and uh, dragons. Love them to death. Shout out to them because they were really excited that I was interviewing you guys. Um, and I keep imagining Raylan Callum as like 
a married couple and he callum in a modern day AU and callum cannot seem to get really to understand the concept of bills just like <laughs> we need to pay our bills first and she just doesn't understand why like budgeting and it's like but that, why do we do this like because people want money but why because it's valuable but why uh i think in the you know non-au version i think callum would kind of struggle as well given that he grew up as a a step prince most of his prince. life and probably didn't have to handle you know the concept of bills too much it's got quite a bit of prince privilege yep <laughs> but yes i think ultimately he's a, a bit more of a a planner than she would be in that situation so our final non-scenario question is do elves have any customs that are uh, any way in any way centered around their horns i guess we want to know more about <laughs> horn uh, I saw a lot of people being like curious about that, like the ornament. The, the mm-hmm. we, it's funny because the Sunfire Elves, when we designed theirs, we ca- called them horn adornments. <laughs> and I guess like I'd never actually thought back to what the Moonshadow Elves one might mean. But I got to say I, I do like the headcanon that there's some sort of like relationship status and meaning to them, which again like was not intentional necessarily because like. I think a couple of the ones that the assassins that are on the mission have them, and then Renan and Athari both have them. I'm like totally okay with the interpretation that there's there's some sort of like marriage token there, but other than that, I'd... yeah, I mean, I I sort of thought of them as like rings in human culture, where like between specific elves, they can be extremely meaningful gifts, you know, traded back and forth and so on, and it might kind of symbolize like a, a wedding ring or something like that. But I don't think they all are. I don't think if you see like horn cuffs as i think if some people have called them on an elf that means they're absolutely 100 percent married but um yeah i think like as you know with any piece of jewelry they can be exchanged for uh reasons of you know love or for reasons of just pure vanity uh in ultra head cannon land again i've always kind of thought of the uh sunfire elf ones as more military status kind of yes, thing that's um, true. and you kind of see like you know Jani's sort of lower level soldiers have um fairly, you know, straightforward uh, little adornments on their horns, whereas obviously Janais is pretty elaborate, and then the Queen's even more so. Um, fun accidental continuity fact, but we can run with it as a story detail. One of Janais' squad that sadly gets thrown into the lava, uh, he just didn't have anything up here. His little kind of circle thing was just missing, and that was completely an error. Like, he wasn't even meant to have hair back there, but... I don't know. Now we've decided that that's the, the, the guy who thinks he's too cool to wear his military issue headband. Yeah, he's just, you know, he's the bad recruit. He's just like too, yeah. He's straight out of college. He doesn't think he has to follow the rules, but he gets thrown in lava. So yep, that'll rip. show him. <laughs> um, yeah, that makes it, I, in my mind, I was wondering, I was like, are like, you know, from an attraction point of view, just like the elves with like particular kinds of horns or bigger horns, Erebos, like be considered more like attraction or you know like I, we were just curious it was like there's got to be some kind of like biological thing where they see each other like oh horns you know like i don't know how rams you know feel about their horns but like similar things um i don't know if there's one set beauty standard but i'm not going to say that some elves probably don't uh feel an attraction to certain types of horns over other certain types of horns although i think it's probably Universally understood that uh, Star Touch elf horns, especially Arabos's, are the most incredible and beautiful things anyone's ever seen. It's true. They're so cool. Um, I do want to, I think, and I might be speaking incorrectly here, but I think the 
I think Hannah put the little jewel on Athari's horn specifically to represent Renan in some way. You'd have to confirm, but I and I might be misremembering something here, but I, I vaguely have that brain seed for some reason. So it's already yeah, definitely thinks Renan has two horns, though. <laughs> Fact. I, yeah, and I also yeah, think I'm pretty sure that's actually correct. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Hannah, if you're out there and I'm wrong, I'm very sorry. <laughs> No, I think I saw that art. I'm pretty sure that's actually correct. She did an art and it uh, was like uh, Runon's eye color and it was like on the right one. Of course, I have that detail ingrained in my mind. But <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so now it's time for the scenarios. And so again, these are super indulgent. I, uh, thank you so much for humoring us so much. Um, it's been super fun so far. I know. I'm just listening like, to us talk. I <laughs> <laughs> get to talk about all my like oh, complete <laughs> nonsense thoughts. <laughs> I love that. I love all the long answers you guys give. I love the long answers on Twitter. I love that stuff. Like, I want more. I don't want less. <laughs> so, our first scenario is, okay, modern AU. Callum gets to meet all four of Rayla's parents. Her biological parents, as well as Renan and Athari, who have raised her for many years. He's a human, and she's an elf. And so that's a thing in this modern verse. He's alien verse. And he's very nervous upon seeing, entering to see weaponry all over the walls. It's apparent to him, based off knife-throwing classes at Zadia State High, because that's just a thing there, so is astrophysics, um, <laughs> and they are not for decor. How does this go down? How do they react to him? And how does Callum react to them? Where is Rayla in all this? Bonus. They have only become aware that Rayla has a boyfriend at all upon entering the house. About him entering the house. Can I ask... Is... Wait... Um, I had a question. Ask anything. Now I don't remember it. How, how, he takes knife throwing, so like weapons are just like sort of an okay. Yeah, just a good okay thing. <laughs> My friend Jill is rolling <laughs> over here in her chair probably because she was like, why do they have knife throwing classes in astrophysics? Um, because they do. Because they elves do. are just that extra. Rayla excels at knife throwing, obviously. Best student in the class. I feel like Callum is enough of a doofus that he would immediately try to complement the weapons in like ways that are completely obviously coming from someone who doesn't really know anything about weapons. And Runan would be displeased. <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of on that. I think he would like, he would tense up a lot because he was not really ready for this. And this is kind of probably double the amount of parents he was expecting when he thought about this scenario growing up. So I think he would probably suddenly kind of become extremely awkwardly formal and would like introduce himself to each parent in a row and say some nice thing about their weapon that isn't relevant or useful at all. And they would like go down the line doing that as each parent is getting more confused or angry. I think Rayla on the side, maybe she would have like a feeling to go in and intervene and start doing something, but she would find this funny and cute at the same time. So she would just kind of let it unfold and watch him stew and watch this whole thing go down. And then we'd wait to see how the, the parents reacted and we'd probably try and like smooth things over and explain after that. But I think she she would get a kick out of watching Callum squirm for a while. Yeah, I do think like depending on the tone of, of how much he's squirming, like are, are they actually... Is it so uncomfortable that she feels like she has to intervene versus like clearly everybody's humoring him and letting him like spiral into just a puddle of att like attempted formality goo on the floor? 
she'd, she'd have to weigh that. Um, but yeah, I think it is charming to her when Callum tries too hard. <laughs> All right, thank you for that. Um, second one is Canonverse. Rayla is off doing whatever moon elf, Moonshadow elf thing children, whatever Moonshadow elf children in their Moonshadow forest. And she's been gone for the better part of a day. So she's just off doing whatever children of her people do. And Renan and Athari decide it's time to go look for her. But it turns out she's been captured by an elf hunter. We're going to pretend that's a thing. Probably has to do with Varen. Um, and obviously she lives. But how does this all go down? I asked this question more to see what, under normal circumstances, um, would Renan and Athari do to protect her? Or, like, I guess, revenge her or whatever that has to do with. Wait, so two parts, like one is how does she live? And then the other question is how do Renan and Athari react? Well, no, she obviously she lives because she makes it to adulthood. But then how do Renan and Athari react and deal with this? Because I just, is he a dead man walking? What do we do here? What's going on? I think that guy's incredibly dead. Just the most dead (laughs) anyone has ever been. I I think like (laughs) this, this poor human or i'm assuming human uh, yeah probably believed that he'd found a poor vulnerable little elf child but my my guess is that she's clever enough to leave some sort of trail i don't know what she's doing maybe she's like notching trees or she's like you know leaving some kind of mark that like renan picks up on the trail pretty easily and yeah that guy poor dude i i really feel sorry for him because he is very murdered. <laughs> yeah, I'm, it's like Liam Neeson taken, right? It's like, okay, I'm gonna turn on every single part of my like military training and I will absolutely 100% act like a Navy SEAL to hunt down whoever this poor fool is that doesn't know what he was trying to do. And Runan does have a very certain set of skills and he that really guy is does. about to find out about them. I think maybe Athari would maybe, I mean, you know, I think like, Ithari's not, like, such a soft heart that he's going to be like, Dark Mage has stolen our uh, daughter. That's somehow fine. But I do think the most he would maybe intervene is, like, Rayla doesn't need to see everything that's about to go down. <laughs> I would maybe be the person to, like, take her to safety, depending on how young she is. Like, if yeah. she's... Pretty you know, young. Pretty young. I'm imagining, like, young enough to get captured, obviously. Um, that answer yeah. is so indulgently just, like, <laughs> sent me. That's exactly <laughs> what I wanted to hear. And I hope... I am calling for all the fan arts and fan fictions for that, because if not, I'll do. <laughs> okay, um, canon verse. It's time for Rayla's parent-teacher conference. I'm assuming this is after her parents leave her. How does that go? No. <laughs> um, Wait, so this is with Runan and Athari? So, <laughs> canonically, I don't think there's a parent-teacher conference is at elf school. <laughs> so let's get that away. I mean, I but, think um, this just, like, goes naturally into the Rayla, why weren't you at elf class type of a... <laughs> Like, yeah, where where were you? Rayla has been skipping elf practice, more or less, right? Um, Yeah, I think it's one of those things where uh, Runan's sort of the jock dad and only actually cares if she's excelling at the what he sees as the important classes. Like, in the uh, our modern AU version, it's like, don't care that she's got a D in math and English and whatever else. Like, is she going to make the team? Is she going to get the scholarship? Is she going to be quarterback? Right? Like, <laughs> whereas oh Ithari is like, no, she does actually have to be a good kid and learn stuff as well. 
Um, but Renan is just like straight to the point and the teacher is slightly intimidated. And it might also be one of those things where it's like, yeah, okay, you can like discipline the school child, but like if it gets in the way of assassin varsity or whatever, like that, yeah, don't, don't take any of that away from her. That's ridiculous. I do. There's, I know this, you said this is like canon verse adjacent, but like Hannah or Dorothy at one point were doing a bunch of modern AU high school uh, drawings and Renan was like a football coach and Amaya was also a coach. It was just really, really great. Um, and I think like there's a version of this where Renan is actually like an employee of the school and that gives Rayla a whole lot of privileges and that makes the conversation all the more difficult. And it's... I like the version where Athari is just like the, the side parent and he's like looking at the, the report card where the teacher's notes say things like, you know, like, She's she's great. She you know she could make a few more friends and he's just like, I think she really she just really needs to make more friends. <laughs> he's the soft hearted parent who cares about that. Is Renan like one of those like math teachers who's actually the football coach and there's no business being a math teacher? Because I don't understand why American schools always have that person. Oh yeah, that person is at every school. That was my teacher. So yeah, probably that. <laughs> Apologies to all the coach teachers out there. I'm just, yeah. I came from Hogwarts, so I have no idea how American schools work. I do think, when this is not related to this specific prompt, but I just thought about, like, Rayla not being very good at, like, a workshop class or, like, a wood woodshop. I didn't actually get to do that in my school because American schools are STEM. But Rayla makes, like, the crappiest ever little wood carving, and Athari, like, has kept it forever and ever and ever. And... <laughs> So it's just terrible, and it's obviously that she doesn't have any of his skills, but but he kept it. And that's the AU thing where he's like, do you want to keep this thing you made in Woodshop? And she's like, no, throw it away. I don't care anymore. Never throw it away. <laughs> I think that answered the question. So sweet. I want it to be like just like oh, the most yeah, you... horrific Adora Bird carving. <laughs> it's just a horrible sharp ball with like a bad face, and, but he kept it. Oh. No, you guys can go off whatever tangent you want. This is hilarious to me. <laughs> um, um, okay, so whatever verse you want this to be in, Renan and Athari are having an argument. All couples do. Um, what do they argue about? That's hard. Ooh. Should we make it like real world, modern AU? It's go harder, for it. It's if you have an to, idea, go for it. Not particularly. It's just harder to imagine, yeah. like, what, why were you at assassin training so long sort of thing. Um, They're actually having an argument about elf practice. Is... <laughs> I mean, I think a real-world one, I'm sure it was pretty heated. Like, when it was... Uh, Renan was like, Rayla's ready to go assassinate the king. Like, I really doubt Ithari was on board with that immediately, right? I think that... And it probably didn't wrap up neatly uh, at the end of it. And I think Ithari probably had a lot of messy feelings about that um obviously you know there's a certain kind of elf culture is more okay with assassination squads than i think most of us are but i still think that ithari was some combination of she's not ready she might never be ready for exactly what you need her to do here and you know but rayla absolutely claimed she was so i don't know i i don't think they like i don't think their last moments before runan got coined had his financial crisis as you said was like left on that sour a note but i i do think they would have argued about that yep i agree and now i'm sad <laughs> yeah i just got really sad i'm just like oh god oh god oh we've just made a lot of people sad sorry guys 
<laughs> okay, this is a this is super super indulgent for me. I have a How to Train Your Dragon alternate universe um, series. It's a fan fiction series I write. Um, so um, super indulgent. It's like Rayla is a they have a dragon writer. Like a, Moonshot Elves have um, dragon writing teams. Very inspired by Race to the Edge. Um, they have they're like and mind you, Rayla and Callum are like twenty years old, like nineteen twenty years old. Callum is kind of an exiled prince because Varen is a dick um, and kind of took over Catullus. Lots of things there. Um, so Rayla is a dragon rider on a team of Moonshadow Elf dragon riders. She's about 19, 20 years old when she runs off with Calum to start a team of dragon riders with Cal, team of dragon riders with Calum, who basically asks her to run away with him to do so. You can tell this is fan fiction, but <laughs> how does it go down on Renan's end when she essentially runs away from home? I imagine in my mind that he um Leave, that she leaves she kind of does a Mulan she basically like leaves a letter or some kind of symbols that she's left and he knows exactly where she's gone because he's he knows who Callum is he knows where she probably has gone and you know and all this stuff so how does that go down for for her for everybody so it's kind of like Liam Neeson and take it no I'm just kidding <laughs> Callum is dead <laughs> Callum is murdered no yeah. um I do think he would go after her like he's I think he's strongly opinionated and doesn't have, I, I think like, for example, Athari is the one who would more readily consider her feelings in the matter. And Renan is, you know, the parent who thinks like, she's clearly made a mistake. Like so, something has gone wrong and I need to go, you know, set her back on the right path. And I don't think that would go well. And he would ultimately recognize after a character arc that he mm-hmm. messed up there. But I definitely think like he's only halfway through the letter when he's putting it down and like making a beeline towards wherever it is he thinks she's gone. He doesn't have the patience to to sit with the letter and think very hard about it. Yeah, I think like he would just ignore all evidence and assume there was something more nefarious going on here. Like she's been tricked <laughs> somehow yeah. and that dastardly human is the one behind all of this. And like Ethereum would be like, I don't know, she wrote it all down. He's like, I'm going to get her back. <laughs> I mean, I do think there's like a parallel to the real Kenan Dragon Prince where he says you've been fooled by this human, like, the egg was destroyed, this is obviously a trick and a trap. And I think that's the same reaction he would have in in this particular scenario, where he's just like, nope, 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 hard reject, just time to go knock some skulls until (laughs) until things are corrected. And, you know, he's bullheaded in that regard, for better and for worse. So basically, Runan is like, the Zadian version of a Navy SEAL, with zero patience of an actual Navy SEAL. He just goes. You know, regardless of whether it's obviously she's in love with this human, he just goes. I think the the it's not that it's all about patience. It's more about like he doesn't necessarily take into consideration any of the emotional motivations for anything as mm-hmm. as his first course of thought. He jumps right to a very like strategic and uh, you know almost militaristic belief in the way people operate. And that is often off base, with, especially with his his small daughter. <laughs> oh. Okay. oh, my goodness. That's great. Um, I'll probably be using that in some form of way. So mind you guys, um, since it's my fat fiction. Um, finally, uh, semi-finally, Rayla and Callum's ideal date had to. Nobody's life's in danger. They can go where they want. Finally, some well-deserved alone time. 
What did they decide to do and how does it go? Especially since Callum's a prince, his flex game is probably pretty strong. So like, what did they decide to do? Is, is this in Zadia or the human kingdoms? Um, it can be anywhere. It can be anywhere, any verse. Um, just they have all the time in the world for once their lives are not, you know, knife to the throat. So what do they decide to do if they could do anything? You got an idea? You go. Um, I think initially Rayla demands that Callum plans the date, but Callum turns that around kind of by saying, show me more beautiful places in Zadia, but surprise me. Like, this is what I want, but you're the one who has to, like, pick the places and uh, show me, like, you know, Aladdin, show me the world kind of thing. So um, I'm going to pretend that they have, I don't know, a phoenix or one of those cool flying sunfire mansions or something just to make this part easy. Um, but I think they, she kind of takes him to a bunch of extremely magical, beautiful places in Zadia, as many as they can fit into one night. And then Callum flips out about a bunch of different magical things. Callum, uh, Rayla kind of glows when she sees Callum so excited about all these different things that he never thought he'd see in his whole life. And then Callum like tries some, some spells, uh, in you know different like sort of primal source power locations that he's been studying uh, in the years post Dragon Prince season three, she's extremely impressed. And take it home, Devin. How does it finish off after that? Uh, magic fireworks and a, and a Ooh. cute smooch. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what's up. Like a picnic, like whatever Zadian version of a picnic blanket is. They're in some extremely beautiful field, and Callum does some magical thing that, or maybe Israela knows something that essentially imitates magical fireworks, like. You know, there's fart flowers. There may be something like that, but actually produces a beautiful, incredible aurora across the sky. And they kind of stare up at that from the ground. And then maybe to be extremely self-indulgent from the skit we uh, were part of, uh, they also talk about the stars. Yeah, that, that skit was fun. And Callum finally gets to try Moonberry Surprise. <laughs> I love how she demands... I love how she demands that he plan it first. If he were to, if he were to plan it, how would that go, since that's Rayla's plan? I actually, I was kind of thinking, like, if Callum were taking Rayla on a date in the Human Kingdoms, I feel like his first instinct would be to try to do, like, you know, a date fit for a, a prince, more or less. Like, he saw the way that Harrow treated Sarai, and, you know, like, she was upgraded from <laughs> a, a more normal life to the, the life of royalty, and I think, like, because he's young and because he doesn't, he's not really done this before. Like he would have a, a sort of like impulsive panic to just be like, okay, we're going to have like a fancy feast. We're going to, uh, dine in the great hall. We're going to wear fancy clothes. And I actually think like it would go kind of poorly for a while. Like Rayla doesn't really want this stiff formality on the date. And I think like, to me, it ends up with something like they abandon all pretense and they go sit up on one of the rooftops of, uh, the castle and, you know, Kind of, the stargazing thing was such a nice thing that uh, that maybe like that kind of scene plays out between them after this this overly formal date has gone very poorly and yeah I can imagine like she's scrambling up like battlements and she's like you can do it Calm, you can do it and like he like it's kind of dangerous but he like follows her up there and so on and she helps him like you yeah. know pulling him up like Ico and Yorda style if anyone gets that reference uh, yeah and then maybe they like look out over the entirety of like the kingdom of Catullus and like make jokes about I wonder what the people are up to tonight and stuff like that. Yeah, you know. can smell the jelly tarts baking all the way up here and that sort of cute yeah. thing. That's so lovely. 
Oh, I love that. Um, so that's our last formal question. The only thing I had, like, in parentheses was, you know, the dead Moonshadow elves, they keep telling, being told they have names. Um, but if they don't have names, can I name them? <laughs> I think we do want to have them have formal names, and we've meant to for a while, and I think we will at some point name them. But yeah, we'll reveal them the fandom is free to call them whatever they want. I've seen, like, several names for... A couple of them that I think are fine and so that's kind of the, the thing is like at this point I, I realize we haven't released them so we've given fandom a lot of run with with them and now I'm like well are we like stepping on that if full names yeah I have like 20 chapters of like the uh the dead moon shadows I have like 20 chapters of what their names are so I'm like the further and further this goes along the more I'm either gonna have to just keep it or just change it so I'm like I can I just mark, can, so I like, felt the same way can about I just mark, can, like tinker like I, I saw people yeah. joking, like, now I gotta go edit, like, 800 <laughs> pages of my fanfiction and change Tinker to Athari, and I'm like, wow, sorry, <laughs> sorry about it. <laughs> All right, well, um, unless Haley has something else, I think that's everything, and that was awesome. That was pretty long, that was pretty awesome, and we love that you guys had so much time to do it, and we really appreciate the time, um, and we'd love to do this again. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Also, yeah, this was great. This was very like fun and informal and happy to do another one ever if you have you know other things yeah, yeah. yeah i always have non-elf questions too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i kind of like the way this happened was i wasn't actually sure we kind of just guessed your email um because there's only like so many of you and we so we just kind of guessed it's like okay um and so i just said hey can we do one on the moon shadow elves because that's what you seem to be talking about and i wasn't sure if you didn't do it like then i was like oh crap i'm sorry Haley. uh can we do like anything and then it just ended up being pretty much up the deluxe elf interview yeah um, i mean indulgently ian and i both really really have kind of soft spots for all of the the elf head cannons and sort of like details they're very, very close to our hearts, and so it was a very easy thing to lean into. <laughs> yeah, I think this is kind of like an insight into just like, you know, when we're in the middle of a season breaking down stories, like it would often just send Devin and I spiraling into like a thousand different corners of what what might have been, how these characters might have interacted in the past and so on, and that kind of like, it doesn't all end up true, and it doesn't all end up in the show, but like being able to think of things like that does kind of help you get a stretch and pull on the characters and, and learn a bit more about them in your own head. So it's been super fun. Thanks for having us. Um, and so I just said, hey, can we do one on the Moonshadow Elves? Because that's what you seem to be talking about. And I wasn't sure if you didn't do it. Um, who's each of your favorite non-elf character? Oh, easily Callum. Callum. And whoever designed his face, I love his face so much. <laughs> I love him. I hope the poor boy gets a growth spurt. Um, <laughs> but I love him so much. I love him a lot. He's one of my favorites too. I've, I always really liked writing him because, partially just because Jack makes him adorable and funny no matter what you write. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just really fun. Yeah, like I have in my How to Train Dragon Alternate Universe, I have, I'm doing a little comic, like a drafting a comic, and I just love, his face is kind of hard to draw, but I just love him. Like, I just love him so much. Ugh. Whoever made him should get a raise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for me, uh, pretty much it's Soren, and I've always basically loved him from the beginning, and I just couldn't believe what, like, how amazing he became in season three, and now almost everyone loves him, like, now you all see what I see. Yeah, you have the, the like, Soren 
Oh, what's the the OG? The future vision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, you're the the original Soren fans. You guys all got mm-hmm. got some rewards this season, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, I like seeing vindicated yeah. fans. And we are, <laughs> and we are aware that Ian was the one who did the the bread joke, the bread, the bread sandwich joke. <laughs> yes, that's that's like kind of the peak Ian kind of joke. Is <laughs> I don't know if this is an honor or not. I'll take it. I guess. No, it's, <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Soren eats bread. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you. We've taken up a lot of your time, and we really appreciate this. Hopefully, we can do this again sometime, um, whenever, maybe before season four comes out. <laughs> um, hopefully, we'll hear more about more news. I guess we're getting some. Hopefully, I think we'll be getting some stuff within that time period before then. But if we are, so if we are, maybe we'll hit you guys up again. Um, your time has been lovely, and I laughed a lot. Same. <laughs> thank you so much. It's been thank super you. fun. This is, a, this is really fun. Thanks for having us. All right. Thank you, uh, and have a good night, everyone. Thanks very much. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.